Hey everyone and welcome to one more episode of Conquer the New Demon. Today we have a special guest and his name is Scott Lepler. Lepler, I hope it's in a prank. Lepler. Lepler, yeah. Oh my god. Welcome to you, Scott. <laughs> and um, why I said Scott is because he's a priester. And why this in Conquer the New Demon is because I am a believer, as you may know, and I opened the door to God for two months ago. And since that point, when I really opened the door to God, there is a promise God gave us, and that is we, He has so much love to us. There is always love. And I was going to church every Sunday, and the priest said tell me, saying, why do you look for love when love is always there in your life? And it's like, what? And at that point, when he gave that message to me, it changed my whole life, and I feel love every day, and I choose love every day because I am connected to God, and today we'll start tell you much more about that message and also other things. So, share a little bit, what are you doing, Scott? Sure. So, I'm a pastor in northwest uh, of the United States, in the state of Washington. We've been here since 2010. I was a... Uh, after college, I was an officer in the Army and then an elementary school teacher. And when I was teaching school, I became a Christian. And I wasn't a Christian growing up. And I found a real passion for uh, teaching the Bible and uh, ministering to people. And God opened the door for me to start doing that part-time and then full-time in California. And then in 2010, we moved to Washington. Uh, my wife is expecting our ninth child in a few weeks. And so pretty excited about that. It's actually yeah, thank you. So, um, and then uh, my book with Harvest House, the book and workbook, Your Marriage God's Way, is going to be published the same day as my child is due. So we'll see. Maybe we'll have a child and a book and workbook the same day. Um, so I do an amount of authoring too. And so, um, yeah, publish some books you can find on Amazon and my website. And I have a book on trials. It's called Enduring Trials God's Way. And so I, when you reached out to me about, about, um, kind of suffering and, and, uh, I thought it would be a good topic to discuss and hopefully encourage some of your listeners by what God's word says about trials. Mm, perfect. So have you experienced any trials recently that were very difficult? Yeah. So some, something did take place uh, a few months ago that I thought I would share. So, um, I wasn't raised as a Christian. My parents were not Christians. I became a Christian, and then they were not very happy about it at first, but I continued um, praying for them. And over about five years, sharing the gospel with them, telling them how we're saved by repenting and putting our faith in Christ. And they started attending Bible studies with me that I was teaching. And then they uh, started coming to church with us. They moved to Washington to be with us, and they live uh, two houses down. So, so there's only one house between us, and which is a few hundred feet away. And so one night my my mom uh, called me on the phone and she was um, just terrified. She was screaming and she asked me to race over to their house to to help them. And I didn't know what was going on. My dad has Alzheimer's. And so I thought that perhaps he had wandered off and she needed me to go find him or perhaps he'd you know, gone upset. Sometimes people with Alzheimer's get upset. And so I raced over to the house. I'd been down at the church with my um, associate pastor and he followed me. And my dad was passed out on the floor. He had been eating, and he had started to choke on something, and he wasn't breathing. And so we started delivering CPR to him, and we were um, alternating back and forth. Thankfully, my associate pastor was there 
with me. And so we um, were alternating performing CPR until the ambulance came. And then, you know, they took over, but they weren't able to save him. And so that was a really, uh, you know, unexpected loss for my family. We thought we'd probably have some number of years left with my dad. And so that was just a few months ago. Um, I became a Christian when my brother died of a drug overdose uh, about 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. Uh, that was devastating, but God really brought forth some good from that. And so those are those are probably two trials that come. We've had some miscarriages, but they're pretty early in pregnancies. It's always difficult to lose a child, um, but I think it's much easier to lose a child early in a pregnancy versus a child that's been born. So probably the two trials that stick out to me most would be those uh, losing my father and then losing my brother. Mm. Thank you for sharing. So how how have you seen God bring forth? Good from the try, so you could count them as joy. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll say first, the situation with my brother, that was really difficult because we were a pretty uh, close family. He's only a year younger than me. We knew he had gotten involved in drugs, but he looked, he didn't look like a typical um, drug addict. He looked healthy. He used to work out. He took steroids. So he's very, very, uh, you know, strong and physically fit. Um, and so when he died of a drug overdose, it was, it was very unexpected pretty uh, shocking to all of us. And I had, um, I guess the best way to say it is I kind of started praying very loosely. I didn't have a relationship with the Lord, but I believe I wasn't an atheist. I believed that, you know, I, I did not think the universe created itself. I didn't think that we got here, you know, by random chance and, that's, and that somehow the universe just kind of came into existence on its own. And so I believe there was a creator and I was praying um, that God would, you know, essentially, if God was out there, that he would reveal himself to me, allow me to know him. And so that's really what happened through my brother's death. When when my brother died, I was struggling and I was teaching at a school. And there were a couple people that went to church and they in church and they knew that um, I was struggling. And they said, you should come to our church and you should talk to our pastor because his brother died when he was about your age. And I didn't really see this as God's way of answering my prayer. I didn't connect the dots until later. But I, I went to that church, and I went there to talk to this pastor about his brother's death. Um, but I went there. I didn't, bring a, I, didn't, I didn't bring a Bible because I'd never, you know, been to, been to a Christian church before. So I went in, and people gave me a Bible, and the pastor told me to open it to, uh, you know, this certain passage. He'd read a verse. He would explain it. He'd read a verse. He'd explain it. And it was just a, a very life-changing, dramatic moment because I felt like I could understand the Bible. I thought that God was speaking to me through it. Um, I heard the gospel for the first time soon after that, and I became a Christian. And so I, my point is I actually became a Christian largely through my brother's death. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that God killed my brother. I'm just saying that my brother died and then God used something from that that was very good, which was my salvation. And then later I was able to share the gospel with my parents. They became Christians. Um, now I'm, you know, pastoring a church. We have uh, eight child children with a ninth on the way, and I, I hope they, uh, you know, many of them I believe already are Christians. So there's just a lot of good that God brought forth from um, my dad's passing. Romans 8:28 is a is a really wonderful, important verse. It says that God is able to bring forth good. Or actually, I can just I can read it to you. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah. So Romans 8:28. We know that though we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So one more time. 
It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so that's saying God works all things together for good, not some things, not large things, you know, not small things, but everything, even the very worst things, there are still ways that God is bringing forth good through it. Now, we can't always see it. Like, I remember when I received that phone call that my brother died, it was just devastating, and I, I saw no good. It was just very dark to me, it was, and there was only my brother and I. It was only the two of us, and so I, I thought it was just the worst thing that had, had ever happened. It was, it was more a situation like, God, why would you allow this to happen type mm-hmm. thing, be, to be angry with God about it. But there's so much good that God brought forth from it. Um, and even there was, we learned later, my brother, he didn't have a whole lot of stuff left with him because he, you know, he was addicted to drugs. He wasn't working. But when they sent home to my parents, the possessions that he had, one of them was this Gideon's Bible that he had been given by a pastor. And he had signed his name in the back of it that it says, like, if you pray this prayer, you know, and, and, and ask Jesus to be your savior, sign your name here. And he signed his name there. And so I'd like to think, I'm not naive. I don't think everyone goes to heaven. I don't think that everyone's a Christian, but I would like to think that my brother was, uh, had a relationship with Christ and that I will see him again. I mean, he didn't have to put his name there. You know, I'm assuming he, he, you know, we're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by doing some number of good works. So if you listen to this and you say, well, why would you think your brother went to heaven when he didn't, he didn't really do anything good? Well, none of us are saved by doing good. We're saved by the finished work of Christ on the cross. We're finished by what Jesus has done for us. And if we put and if we accept that sacrifice, then we are saved. And I believe Jason very well could have done that. Um, so this is it's just a powerful verse. You know, it says that God works all things together for good. But what's interesting is it doesn't say God works all things together for good for everyone. Mm. It says that God works all things together for good for those who love him. Because there are people that don't love God. Um, they're going to be judged someday. They'll stand before him. They will be punished for their sins if they have rejected Christ. And we wouldn't, we couldn't look at that and say that God worked that out for good in their lives. And so this is a promise for his children or for those people that are in a relationship um, with him. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if I talked about that too much. I can also share share some good things that I saw in my in my dad's passing as well. Or if you want to go to um, another question. Um. I your you want to come to share just a little bit short about it, um, and we go to straight to the next question. Okay, you said share a little bit about my dad. Yeah, it's just share a little bit about him. Okay, I think it's a good thing because you talk about your brother and your dad. Okay, so dad had Alzheimer's and he was beginning to forget things. And many people, when they have Alzheimer's, they end up um, dying. Their lives come to an end in a way that lacks dignity, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. They can't, yeah. they can't care, they can't care for themselves. It's, it's a somewhat, it's a, it's a way of life that people would probably be ashamed of if they were aware of it. And I feel like God allowed my dad to die with dignity. He, mm-hmm. um, we would have wanted more time with him, but I'm thankful that he was around my children, that my children knew him, that they didn't have to watch him, um, reach the point where he, you know, couldn't care for himself at all. And the other thing was, I'm really thankful that God gave me the time with dad that he did and that my children were near him. Um, One night, my mom had a surgery, uh, a pretty minor surgery, but she had to stay in the hospital. And I I stayed at the house with dad. And there was a real tender moment where I tucked him in that night. Like, you know, like generally parents tuck in their children, but I, I got to tuck in my father. 
And I was kind of looking down at him. He was having trouble getting his pajamas on. He was putting his pajamas over his pants. And I kind of helped him, you know, undress and get dressed and put him in bed and kind of cover him up. And I just leaned down and I said, you know, I gave him a kiss and I said, hey, dad, I love you very much. You know that I love you. And he was looking up at me and it was just a nice, sweet moment that I was really thankful for. And, and I would say that to anyone that's listening to this. If there are people in your life that you love, you need to make sure that you tell them that. So I'm very thankful that I don't have, I mean, I wasn't a perfect son. There's things I would do differently. But at least one of the things that I don't regret is that I did tell my dad many times that I left him. I would, I would grab him by the shoulders even when his Alzheimer's had, had advanced and I wasn't sure what exactly he would understood. But I would look him in the eyes and I would, I'd hold him and I'd say, Dad, I love you. Do you know I love you? I love you so much. And so I don't, I don't. I, I feel good that I have communicated that to him so many times. And I would just say that to anyone. If there's important people in your life, you don't know how much time you have with them. And so make sure that you let them know that before so you don't ever have to live without regret. Mm. So true, so true. Yeah, after the day I opened the door of God, I received so much love and so much grace. On It's just so magical in so many ways. And... When I have a um, fight with someone, of course, in the moment, I'm in the moment. And afterwards, I just choose to forgive and release the things and really, really focus on how can I around this communication, around love, so we both connecting to each other. Because as you say, we never know when the last day is with this person. And I choose to stand there with love instead of to stand there with regrets about i did not say I love you too much, uh, and I did not say I love you uh, to the person when I saw the person. Yeah, just a few verses later, so I read Romans 8.28. In verse uh, of the same chapter, Romans 8.35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In other words, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. As it's written, um, and then it goes on a, a few verses later, and it says, um, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, rulers, things present, nor things to come, powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's just a really powerful verses about God's love that he has for his children once we have been reconciled to him through Christ. Because if we don't, if we have a relationship, we're separated from God because of our sin. We're not, we're not born children of God. We're not born Christians. We're born, it actually says in Romans 5, verses 1 and verse, uh, verses 1 through 10, that we are born enemies of God because of the sins that we've committed. He has wrath against us because of what we've, we've done. But when we repent and put our faith in Christ, Jesus has received the punishment for our sins. He has received the punishment that we deserve. We are reconciled to God. We become his children. And he loves us with an even greater love than we have for our own children. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that has, I, I really believe that we learn more about God's love for us once we become parents, because it's such a unique love that we have for our children. I, I had other relationships, you know, my, my parents, a brother, close friends. But when you have a child, there's a love you have for that child that is just really unspeakable. And you mm-hmm. look at that child and you think, wow, I can't believe that God loves me more than this. And so um, being a parent really allows you to gr- develop greater insight into God's love for, for his children. But those verses are just about how nothing can separate us. There's nothing 
we could ever do that could cause God to love us less. There's nothing we could ever do that could cause God to love us more because we didn't earn it. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. Mm-hmm. Why have I not opened the door to God before was because as in school when I learned about God for the first time, God has so much love to give. He's just all about love as I see him and I've seen him before. So I could not really understand why love, God could love me when I have so much pain in my life. And how I turn around today is I know God gave me the challenge in life because he knew I was strong enough to face it. And also to create me as a strong force to fight for wild animals. And to stand in that line, you get to be strong because that is a, that is a difficult fight to fight. And I'm really thankful for all the challenges God gave me in my life. Because it's just wisdom I can give to others now. And you told me when we were talking that you, you're given a Bible, you're reading the Bible now. Uh, that's how God speaks to us through it. Mm-hmm. It's called his word because it is his word to us. Or it's called the word of God because it's what he wants to say to us. The, the Bible contains 66 books. These are his love letters to us and how he wants to reveal himself. I mean, that's how we know him. And mm-hmm. so I was thrilled to hear that after you... Um, as you said, open the door to God or turn toward him. Now you're reading the Bible to come to learn and understand there's so much wrong. Um, there's so much false teaching and false beliefs about God and who he is. You know, you can go ask a hundred people who God is and you're going to have a hundred different answers. They can't all be right. I mean, people have all these different ideas about God and everyone can't be right. He's either, he's either like this or he's like that, but he can't be, be both of these things. And so mm-hmm. the question then, well, how do we know? Is it one person's opinion is better than someone else? No, we come to know God through the Bible as he reveals, and he reveals himself to us through it. Yeah, and it has helped me so much to be together with a priest and to others. There is, there is a believer, there, has, there is Christians, and definitely I also get baptismal. One day I planned it with my priest, and he will find a priest in Denmark, so I get baptismal. So I'm looking for so much for that to get that over me. So that is, it's just a beautiful way. I'm saying. Yeah, baptism is the next step after we become Christians to identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's commanded of us. We don't. There's not a certain amount of maturity or um, knowledge really that's needed. Actually, the only knowledge that's really needed is the knowledge of what baptism actually is. We shouldn't be baptized unless we know what it is. But baptism, uh, water baptism, immersion is the way that we identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection because. When when uh, I baptize many people and they stand there very still, they look like a dead person. You lower them, you lower them under the water, and then that's their burial. And then you actually raise them up out of the water, which is their resurrection. And all of this identifies or parallels what took place with Christ, with His death, burial, and resurrection. And even when you lower them under the water, they don't raise themselves up out of the water. You lift them up out of the water because in the Bible repeatedly it says that God the Father raised God the Son. And so all of this is a public way of professing to the world physically what has already transpired spiritually, that we are we have identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection spiritually, and now we want to physically identify with his death, burial, and resurrection through mm-hmm. water baptism, immersion. Yeah. It's so beautiful, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what Jesus has helped you? Through that spiritual dark trial and allow, allow you to develop some um, insights? Mm-hmm. Well, 
A few of the tools, um, one of them we've been talking about would be the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about trials. I think there's a very common belief that we suffer because we've done something wrong. It's very easy when we're when we're going through something difficult to think maybe that God is upset with us or we have done something to deserve it. And there's kind of an important distinction that needs to be made. If we're suffering because we did something wrong, that's not a trial. That's discipline. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we're suffering because we've done something wrong, that's discipline. God is disciplining us because of our sin, and he wants to see us repent. But if we're suffering and we did not do anything to cause it, then that's a trial, and that's something that everyone experiences. So it's really unfortunate if someone experiences a trial and thinks it's discipline, and it's also really, really unfortunate if someone's experiencing discipline and they think it's a trial. And what I mean by that is I'll give you an example. A woman contacted me, and she had just lost a child, and she was devastated. And I don't think that she had done anything wrong, but she was really beating herself up about it, and she thought God was upset with her. So I thought she was going through a trial, but she thought that she was being disciplined. And I told her, I said, I don't think you've done anything to deserve this. I don't think that God is punishing you. So it's bad if we're going through a trial, but we think it's discipline. But it's also bad if we're being disciplined, but we think it's a trial. And what I mean by that is because if we're being disciplined by God, he wants to see, Hebrews 12 says he wants to see the fruit of righteousness produced in our lives. He wants to see our behavior change. He wants to see us repent and learn and grow from this. Well, if we're being disciplined, but we think it's a trial, we don't see how we caused this. Like, for example, let's say someone does something wrong. They're suffering. God is disciplining them. And then they say, oh, I don't know why this is happening. They blame other people. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. what, unfortunately, then they're putting the attention on someone else when the attention should be on them. And they're not learning what God wants them to learn. So it's important to understand the differences between discipline and trials. If you want to read about discipline, Hebrews 12 is a great chapter about that. If you want to read about trials, Job is the individual who's most associated with trials. He suffered so terribly. But what's interesting is right at the beginning of the book, you see that Job was this very wonderful, godly, righteous man. And so, in other words, the book about suffering is the book that tells us the man who suffered the most was also a very wonderful, godly, righteous man. And that flies in the face of the thinking that we suffer because we've done things wrong. But we only learn these truths. We only learn these encouraging things by reading the Bible. So that's a really important uh, resource for us. And just kind of to say similar to that, James 1, I'll I'll read these verses to you. Or I I can just tell you, but James 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we're told to count it all joy when we experience trials. Well, the reason it says count trials as joy is because we don't feel joy. You have to you have to decide that I will count this as joy because you can't feel joy at that time. Trials are not pleasant. Nobody goes through a trial and says, oh, this feels so wonderful. I enjoy this. Yeah. Uh, in the King James, it says reckon or decide that you will choose to view this as joy joyfully. But then it begs the question, how could I view a trial joyfully, or why would I count a trial as joy? Well, the answer is in those verses and in other places in the Bible, including Romans 8.28 that I just read, that we know God is doing something good from this. Mm-hmm. When we're going through a trial, we can be confident that God is using it in, in wonderful, good ways in our lives to sanctify us, to grow us. So, for example, when I read that verse, Romans 8.28, 
that God produces good or does good or always brings forth good from all things that we experience. That's one of the reasons that we can count it all joy when we suffer, because we know God is doing something good from it, even if we can't see it right at that moment. Mm-hmm. The other reason we can count it all joy is because trials mature us. We don't like this, but there's no way around it that trials are one of the premier ways that God sanctifies us and grows us into the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Um, I think it's Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. And so if, if the son of God was going to suffer terribly and, and um, you know, learn from that, then why would we think that we wouldn't suffer as God's children as well? And so we can count it as joy because we consider what God is doing through it for our benefit to help us and help others. We have a young mother in our church. Um, it's, it's very tragic. She has cancer. She has, uh, they're some of our closest friends. Um, James and Rachel die. You can look them up on the internet, follow, follow their journey. Um, she's been a great encouragement to me. She's very healthy. You know, one day she's running five miles and then the next day she finds out that she has, um, stage four colon cancer and she's been battling it for, uh, three, three years now, I believe. And mm-hmm. is beginning, is beginning more treatment. I think just last week she was going in for some, for some surgeries. And the way that she has went through this trial and has given glory to God, the way that she has maintained her faith, it doesn't mean she hasn't been discouraged. It doesn't mean she hasn't been sad or struggled at times or asked for prayer. But the way she has maintained her faith in God through this has been such a great encouragement to so many people. And so my point is, she's going through a difficult trial, but it is given, it's given glory to God, and it has been a great example for all the people around her. So that's one of the other ways that God works positively or brings forth good through trials is through what we suffer being an example to those people around us. Mm. That is beautiful. I have never, I have not reached that point yet in the Bible. And it's also so important and amazing to see when is a child and when is the dyslexia, what do you call it, the, um, what was the other words, child and discipline. Discipline, exactly. And to know the difference when it's me that is doing it to myself or when it's like God that give me a trial in life. Yeah, it's, I think we need to ask ourselves honestly when we're suffering, we need to say, did I sin? Did I do something to cause this? Because if I did sin, if I did cause this through my behavior, then I need to repent. That's what God is trying to produce in my life. But if I did not sin to cause it, then I can trust that it's a trial and that God wants to work this, wants to work this out, out for good. I mean, here's, here's just, I can read a couple verses, um, in Hebrews 12 about this. It says, um, in your struggle against, or let's start this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or as children? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So now we're not talking about trials. We're talking about God disciplining us as sons and daughters. He says, nor become weary when reproved or disciplined by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises or disciplines every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Mm. If you are left, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So here's here's what the author of Hebrews is saying, basically. Why do I discipline my children? Is it because I hate them or is it because I love them? 
It's because I love them. I want what's best for them. I want them to learn. I want them to grow. They do something wrong. I discipline them because I want to help them not make the same mistake in the future. If you take a child that's never disciplined, you're going to have a child that's going to end up in prison, that's never going to keep a job, that's going to be a detriment to society. And so just as parents, we discipline our children because we love them and want what's best for them. God disciplines his children because he wants what's best for us. It actually says here that God's discipline is a sign not just of his love, but of the fact that we are his children. And if we are not disciplined by God, which means if we can look at people and it seems like, for lack of a better way to say it, they're able to get away with it. Because we all look at people and it looks like, you know, they're sinning or acting wickedly and nothing happens to them. Yeah. And we could say, well, we say, why, do they, why are they able to get away with it? Well, there's two possibilities. One possibility is they're just not Christians. They're not God's children. And they are able to do these things. And God ignores those people just like I don't discipline children that are not my own. If I go to the store and I see a child being really bad or misbehaving, I don't discipline that kid because that kid's not mine. Well, it seems like God doesn't discipline people that are not his children. The other possibility is it looks like someone's getting away with it simply because God is giving that person time to repent. I mean, that's what happens also is God is being patient. And we do that with our children. We kind of let our children misbehave. You know, we let it kind of go on because we're hoping that they stop. And, and God does the same. He lets us, let's say, misbehave. But there's a point at which he's had enough and then he disciplines us. So sometimes when it seems like we're getting away with it, we're really not. God is just being patient, allowing time for us to repent before he disciplines us. Mm. That is powerful to see that when is what and how that is like. It gave me like a feeling when I get to learn that because I get to go more in that what is what for myself. And it, I get a feeling for it gives me bigger opportunities, like gives me allow to release when I'm have been a victim or do a victim, like say I'm a victim. So more like when is what and when is what, like, I don't know if it can make sense. It's just like, it's very useful for me to hear that two different things. Well, I, I really appreciated your attitude, your desire to learn and grow. Um, it's very common in all of us to want to act like we know everything, act like we have everything figured out. And that's a really, that's a real detriment to growth. Um, that's pride that causes us to want to act like. So in all of our communication, I really appreciated, um, how humble you've been and your teachable spirit. And, uh, we all, when I became a Christian, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I, I had to, I had to start reading and I had to begin from, you know, ground zero. And so, uh, and I still have plenty more to learn about the Bible. I don't have it all figured out. There's plenty of stuff that I read, and I, I can't remember reading it before. And I'm, I'm always learning new stuff. The Bible, we can spend our whole lives reading it. And because it's, it's an, it's, it, in a sense, it's an inexhaustible book. We can always learn more about God because we're learning about an infinite God. And so the people that are listening to this, if they, I would, if they want to understand discipline better, I would encourage them to read Hebrews chapter 12. And if they want to learn more about trials, I would encourage them to read James chapter one and just focus on and just read those chapters a few times. Sometimes people kind of read the Bible really quickly. I'm more of a fan of reading the Bible slowly, reading some verses more than once. So maybe for like a couple weeks, just get up each day and read Hebrews 12 and and James chapter one to learn about trials and discipline. Hmm. I get to, I get to do that. I, I have only the Bible on my phone because it's easy for me to listen to it when I'm dyslexic, so I have it in my ears. Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate. We live in such a wonderful age, you know. Um, you go back far enough, people didn't have Bibles. 
they they had many people couldn't read or write. You go forward, and now there's so many different Bibles. But then you go forward to our day, and now there's audio Bibles. There's so many apps on your phone. You can listen to the Bible or sermons all the time. I was walking, you know, I walked to my office from my house, which isn't very far, and I can listen to a sermon every time I stretch my legs. You know, we we can. I would highly recommend this for any of your any of your listeners. Uh, it's called Sermon Audio. It's a wonderful app. Has thousands and thousands of sermons from godly men, and you can listen to sermons on any on all these different topics, on all these different Bible passages. And um, yeah, I would just I would highly recommend people to be listening to the Bible and trying to redeem the time, mm-hmm. uh, and you know not waste it listening to frivolous uh, worldly stuff. It's amazing. What is the last message you really want to give to the audience? about uh, trials and disciplines or something else, God? Okay, sure. So I would say it's important to keep what I would call an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. In other words, it's important to not be looking down at this life. It's important to be looking up at heaven or looking at eternity. Because whenever we do that, every trial we experience at the moment can seem really huge, life-dominating, you know, almost, almost like destroy all of our joy and make us, you know, miserable um, when we're focused just on this life. But when we understand that this life isn't really about this life, that this life is about the next life, that this life is our preparation for eternity, um, and we have that eternal perspective, it really, it really, in a sense, brings everything into perspective then. And so I'd encourage all of your listeners not to be thinking about this life, but to be thinking about the next life and understand that all of us are sinners um, we have all fought. None of us have been perfect. None of us have been good enough to get to heaven, which is why God sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. If we if we could be good enough to get to heaven in our own effort, then yes. Jesus did not have to come and die on a cross. Galatians uh, 2.21, Paul says, I do not disregard the grace of God because if righteousness could be gained by the law, then Christ died in vain or he died for nothing. Or in other words, if we could be good enough to get to heaven in our own effort, then Jesus didn't have to come and die on a cross. He died on a cross for us because we can't be good enough in our own effort. We we need a savior. A good analogy is kind of like this. Um, if you think of a plane, someone flying on a plane and they're offered a parachute, they don't want a parachute unless they know that the plane is crashing, right? Um, nobody wants an antidote until they know that they're sick. Well, once we recognize that we're spiritually sick, that we're sinners, then we want the parachute or we want the antidote. And that parachute or that antidote is Jesus Christ. And so we need to recognize that we're sinners. We have not been perfect and put our and repent and put our faith in Christ to be saved from our sins. And that would be the most important thing. That's the gospel. That's the most important thing I could offer to any of your um, listeners. Did you mean, is that what you meant or do you mean like my free gift? I know you said. You know, it's, I also love, love, love to you to share uh, because now you are running away with the trial and the disciplines as I think it was very interesting as I also get to dig more in. So please share, what is your free gift you give to the audience? So I wrote a, I wrote a short, uh, it's a short read. It's called Seven Biblical Insights for Healthy, Joyful, Christ-Centered Marriage. It's more like a little pamphlet. You can get it for free. I hope it would be a blessing to you. You'll probably, you'll probably put it in the show notes or something, Tanya, for people. That's my gift to you, I hope. And, uh, it's not a, not a huge marriage, not, not my big marriage book that's coming out next month, but it just has some, some insights that I hope could be helpful to you. If you are married or if you're preparing, for marriage. Uh, you can also find me at my website, scottlockhair.org. If I can pray for you, you have any questions, you can uh, learn more information from me there. So, Tanya, I appreciate everything you're doing. I, I feel like you have gotten excited about some things God's doing in your life, and you want to share that with others. 
And so thank you for just reaching out to me and letting me be a small part of that. Before you're going, Scott, so to you, audience. So if you go back to the newsletter you get, there's Scott's uh, freebie and the link to his homepage. You have everything you need in there. So please go back and get what Scott has to you. So thank you so much for the nice words, Scott. And it has been a really blessing for me. I'm so touched about to talk about God. I don't, I don't know why I'm get so emotional every time when I'm talking about God and connecting with God. My emotional is just running. As you also can hear, my voice is changing now. So thank you so much for sharing that beautiful message. It means really a lot to me and also to the audience. Okay, You're welcome. God bless you guys. God bless you.